Rizal, how did you get into stand-up? Like, were you a funny kid, a nerdy kid, a sporty rugrat, boring? Uh, <laughs> I was, I was like, the, the, I was the class clown. I think uh, g- growing up being uh, of mixed heritage in a, in a public school in Kuala Lumpur kind of made me feel that I needed to, to, to blend in with everybody because I was always different. I, I looked different. I had a different name. I speak different. So people were always like, you know, so I, you know, it's just that, that, uh, that, that, that need to belong to a, to a group, you know. So laughter was always the way for me to sort of get people to accept me uh, into their circles. Right. Uh, I was always the guy getting in trouble. I would always uh, impersonate the teachers as soon as they leave the class. They're like, hey, guys, what's it? And then, <laughs> and then I, get, I, get, I get caught doing it. Uh, and I got into a lot of trouble when I was uh, r- right up to university. So, yeah, the class clown, definitely. And being, to be a stand-up comedian, when I, was, I remember I was, like, I, was, uh, I was like standard five or standard six, right? And I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, it'd be great if I could do this for the rest of my life, just make people laugh. Because I was always trying to crack, crack up the bus, you know, the bus, yeah. we, the yeah. school bus. I was always trying to make, say, what can I do today to get the whole bus laughing? And then I would do, it would work every time. I can't remember what I would do, but I would do something. And I would think, like, well, wouldn't it be great if I could do this for the rest of my life? But it only, it didn't seem practical. Because there was, they didn't seem to have any sort of uh, platform or even industry for English comedy in Malaysia back in the 90s. Right. So, so tell me, like, okay, two things. First, um, do you have any other siblings? Yes, I do. I have two older sisters from my mum, and I have uh, two other halflings. uh, Halflings. Yeah, different factory, same four men, right? (laughs) (laughs) Were they they, uh, sort of a relief to your parents? Were they sort of like the the more decently behaved children and you were the wild one and were they the balance? (laughs) So, okay, hold on. If you're talking like uh, from my two two older sisters, uh, I was, well, I was the okay one, I think. I was the one in the middle. I had one rebellious sister and one, you know, Prefect do-gooder sister. I won't say which is which, not to upset them. Let them figure that out themselves. <laughs> uh, so I was kind of, I guess I was maybe, I was in the middle. Uh, yeah, but I was the, I was the youngest in, uh, in, in our family. Uh, and I don't know whether this is, has any truth to it or not, but most comedians that, I'm, that I've met, right, hundreds of them, they all seem to fit in the, being the youngest in the family. Really? I don't know whether there's some, yeah. Really? I don't know there's some kind of psychological effect on us being... You know, being being the last one that nobody gives, you know, n- nobody nobody gives a toss about, right? They're like, hey, yeah, uh, they'll, they'll be all right, they'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> the runt of the litter left on the road. The their runt own. of the litter, exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, so explain your name because you know you're saying yeah, different heritage, you look different, and everything. Um, so it's not a stage name, yeah. Fengezel no, is your real not. name, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's uh, my the, I have a Dutch surname which comes from my father's my dad's side. And uh, he, he wanted to keep the family name, even though he was the only one in his family that, uh, that converted and uh, got his name changed. But he still kept the Van Gezel in his own, uh, say, uh, official IC, his, his official name. Right. Was still, it was Patrick Owen Van Gezel. He became Johan Van Gezel bin Abdullah. So he still managed to carry through that, that surname. Uh, so yeah, that's so that's that's from my dad, my dad's side. So the, the the joke that I always throw is that you know my dad is half Dutch and half Chinese, which makes him absolutely the cheapest man in Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay then. <laughs> right, moving along. Right, in 2014, you went from performing um, stand up as you've been doing um, since you were little, right, um, as the run of the litter, to actually co-owning your own comedy club. Now, why did you jack in your day job? Weren't you worried about the risk? Like, what was the deciding factor there? What was your day job anyway at the time? I was working. I was in. I was working. I was in the hotel line. I was working in uh, the sales and marketing department of, of of a local hotel chain, and it was a you know nine to six job, eight to six, nine to five job, mm. and clean shaven, wear tie every day. You know, uh, as as fun as it was, I I just didn't feel that it was. I didn't feel like it was. Yeah, you know, I was fulfilling my purpose. You know, is it felt kind of like just, just this is just to get by. This is just following what everybody else is doing, right? Getting a steady income for now. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, and you know, I wasn't. You know, we're not getting any younger by the day. So I, I, I need. I wanted to do something. I knew that being in corporate hotels wasn't going to be permanent, and I wanted to do something else. Uh, then I uh, I found out of of a locally run open mic night uh, by the publication Time Out, and it was then being held at the old Zook at Jalan Ampang uh, at Velvet Underground. So I went and I watched the show there, and that's when I saw Kevin J, Papi Zak, and some of the some of the uh, I say like the, the 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 pioneers of the underground scene, right? And I saw and I'm like, oh, awesome. I can do this with other people now because the, the fear of me getting into comedy was because I would be alone. There would yeah. be there was no one else doing it apart mm-hmm. from Harith Iskanda and and Jit Murat. There was nobody else doing stand up. And Harith and Jit were already so successful. They were they were already doing you know they're they're, they're big shots. So they're not going to want to do anything with you know small run like me. You know. Uh, so when I saw the underground scene, I was excited. I was like, okay, great. There's a whole bunch of other kids, uh, guys that want to want to do it as well. So I I rang up Matt Bellotti, who was the then the editor of Time Out, and also the he he ran the Time Out Comedy Thursdays uh, there, and he immediately gave me a spot, and you could say that I caught the stand up fever, you know, there's that fever that you do it <laughs> once and then you catch that. That 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 you know that fever. They're like, I got to do this again. You know, it was, it was such an adrenaline rush. You know, it was, I was given only I was given only five minutes, but I think I went over wow. to ten, which okay. is not permissible. Which is a big four paw in comedy. You're not supposed to go over time. I learned that now, and now running my own club and running my own open mic night and breeding new talents. I'm a big Nazi on on time. You know, what <laughs> I mean, like don't don't take away time from from other comics and don't uh, don't uh, you know. Uh, don't don't make the audience bear, you know, you pandering too long on stage. There is only yeah, one rule. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. That's it. The, the time is a limit, not a target. Yeah. Right. Oh, I should yeah. try that in parenting, actually. <laughs> it's a good line. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. Did, did, you, did you pick up anything good from being in a hotel line that you go into like, like being a comedian that you're like, man, I had like a ton of content from being in a hotel line everything was like a joke waiting to happen oh uh, well actually I, I didn't want to talk about so much about my my corporate life i guess because i wanted to escape from it you know right. so I, I didn't really come up with much material about when i was working in hotels really it was more about the things growing up and observational stuff about you know about uh, about where we live about where we have been and where we're going and such like that uh However, the, the, the hotel, uh, the FMB, the hospitality experience started to come in handy when I was running this place. I was also about to ask you, because you need to have some kind of corporate 
management skills. Yeah, right? yeah. But see, the funny thing is, when I did that jump over to being self-employed and being a freelancer and 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 working from gig to gig, right, or the gig economy, as they say, I, I felt like I threw all that knowledge out of my head. You know, it's just like it was just like in school. I I, I got by in school, but only because I studied at the last minute, and then after the <laughs> exam. Shoop, it's gone. You know what I mean? Like I never carried all that that knowledge with me. Uh, vacuum you know, cleaner, uh, out. vacuum. Yeah, it's all out, right? Exactly. So I was lucky enough, actually, when I when I opened the crack house, uh, I I found a, a a sensible, business sensible partner, uh, which I believe <laughs> you guys know who, who yes, yes. Shankar Satyaram. I I don't know the sensible Shankar. I, I know I do know a Shankar. But I'm not sure if it's the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very lucky to have Shankar at the beginning because he provided me all the business insights. He gave me all the uh, the, the know-hows about running a business, about incorporating a company, having an accountant, and all that all that boring stuff. So he pretty much took care of all of that, all the admin back-end stuff, while he left me in charge fully to be, you know, to to curate shows, to uh, run the, you know, uh, uh, arrange the room, hire which comedian, uh, arrange the lineup and such and such. Yeah. Was so what was it? Though? Sorry, sorry, I asked you. Thank you, thank you. Was it scary though? I mean, going from comedian to business owner? Oh, well, okay. So I only opened the, 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 the crack house uh, uh, a, a year after I made that jump. Right. It was, so, so for one year, I was, you know, working in the gig economy. Uh, and it, it wasn't, I only did it. I only jumped ship. I only resigned from my corporate gig because I could make more money doing comedy than working in, in the hotel. Right. Uh, yeah, but then there's, you know, my, my, my dad and my parents were not all for it, really. They were like, oh, what about security? What about insurance? And what about, you know, your, your pension and all that? And I'm like, I can still do that. I can still s sign up with my own insurance. I can still pay my own pension, you know? And mm. then uh, I just needed to tell my dad how much I would get paid per gig. And he was like, oh, okay, well, good job. Good <laughs> yeah. Money talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, th I, think, I think my parents start, my, well, not, my mom was, was cool with it from day one. She was completely happy. My mom, she was kind of like the hippie of, of my parents, right? She was like, do what makes you happy, follow your dreams, you know, and everything. Life is short, do, you know, enjoy yourself and all that. My dad was the skeptical one. He didn't really approve of my, he thought like, this is just a hobby, right? You're not going to do this for, seriously. <laughs> but what really I think made him warm up to it now was the fact that when I was performing at corporate annual dinners that were hosted by his friends in the okay. army, my dad is in the army. So all the, I did, I, I did, I performed at law firms, oil and gas companies, and some of his friends uh, were in the audience and they'd be texting him. They're like, hey, your son is performing at my event and he's hilarious. So my dad was finding like, yeah, that's my son. I'm proud of him. <laughs> that was different. <laughs> I told him to follow his dreams. I told him to pursue this uh, this this hobby. Uh, suddenly, he wants all the credit. You know. Like, oh, oh, he sounds like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what was it like the first time you bombed? Oh wow! Uh, it, it was both refreshing and horrifying. Uh, refreshing in a sense that I knew it was going to happen. And I knew that this, this, kind of, this kind of shows will make me a better comic. 
uh, and I, uh, you know, when, when you bomb, you, you, really, you really eat a piece of humble pie. You really get back down to earth. You really have to reassess what you're doing, right? So that was the refreshing part of it. The horrifying part was that I couldn't sleep for two weeks after that. It just, <laughs> just, just like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Oh, my God. Oh. It, was, it, was like, it was just like, it feels like a piece of your soul was just sucked out of you, you know? Uh, so it was it was painful. It was it was painful to say the least. Well, it's a good kind of painful now that you look back on it, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. It was a good kind of painful. I, I believe every comedian you need to fail. You must fail. There's no such thing as being successful every time you go on stage. Uh, so I mean, if you see us at a bad gig, you know, it's just like you guys. You know, if you ever have a bad a bad day at the office, you have a bad day. At you know, things are not right. The, the the you know the 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 channels are not working, or your buttons are malfunctioning, and all that. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that happens to comedians. It just so happens that we have to do it in front of everybody, yeah. and everybody sees. And then you get that that presumption. People will be like, "Oh, is this your first time doing comedy?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I've been doing it for eight years, and I'm just having a bad day at work. You know, uh, but just it's one of so those fun. days. Yeah, exactly. But it's all part of the process, you know. I mean, uh, uh, comedians will tell you this all the time. A joke is never perfected the first time it works. It has to be has to be practiced over and over again. And I'm referring more to to live stand up comedy mm. uh, now with everybody doing their jokes online and being successful at it. That's great. But they also have that editing advantage. Mm. They also have that, you know, they can edit this, they can add, you know, sound effects, they can use green screen and all that to, to make sure that it comes out the way they want. But when you're doing stand-up, it's just the microphone and you and the audience. And once it comes out, you cannot take it back, you know. Uh, and once the room, once the energy drops, it's a lot of work for you to bring it back up again. So, you know, just keep trying and trying and trying. We, we had, we, we used to run these uh, new material nights in Crack House. Uh, for literally like nothing, right? It was like almost a free show, like five ringgit per ticket. Was, you know, and it basically I get all the headliners uh, of the KL headliners, all the, the top acts. They will come up here. We bring our notebooks here. We bring our laptops and our iPads, and we actually skip and we we sell it as a show with no quality control, trial <laughs> 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 and error. Mm-hmm. And that you know, if you guys uh, are not enjoying the show, just remember how much you didn't pay to watch this show. So that was like a, <laughs> that's like a beta test show, is it? Just to see how things work out. Yes, yes, it's a beta test show, exactly. So we used to have those nights, which would really help. And uh, uh, you know, there'll be some of the comics that actually use that night to. Uh, to to sharpen their one hour special that later made it onto Netflix. Right, nice. Okay, yeah. Joe Rogan talks about that a hell of a lot. Actually, that better testing in front of the in front of the cheap crowd because they you know they have zero tolerance for bad wrong, bad humor. Man, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and there's a certain there's something about being on stage and performing your joke rather than sitting down in you know your office or your your home and writing it down. There is there is no way of replicating that feeling. When you're on stage, you know, with the adrenaline and the spotlight, and and you know, and 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 the, and the people sitting around and watching you, I, I feel like I'm, I'm. I mean, everyone, every comedian has their own method of writing jokes. Uh, I, my method is I, I do half and half. So I write down the ideas halfway, but I finish writing it on stage, because I I, I cannot replicate that feeling sitting down. On a, in a table with my pencil and my pad, I cannot replicate right. that feeling of being on stage. Then, yeah. so I have to be here. That adrenaline, that 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 that, must, and or sometimes an audience might heckle and give me a better line. I'll be like, "Hey, that's great. I'll keep that one." <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it down. Uh, it's, I love it. 
It's it's a real it's it's a it's a real rush, honestly. The whole gig is it's an absolute rush. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the thick skin. Um, all comedians ha- have to sort of develop um, through failures and, and and everything that they go through. Um, with regard to the pandemic and how it hit your roster of comedians, for example, I mean, what was that like? Well, I mean, I mean, we we cannot avoid criticism. You know, we cannot avoid it. It's it's going to happen. I mean, we we just you know we. We, we have, I mean, swallowing your pride has to come with the job description of being a comedian, you know. You have to understand that the audience is in control of your industry. The audience says what is funny, you know. We can only try and think that, yeah, we have to meet halfway, performing what we feel is funny. But in the end, the audience has to accept it. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big, I, I don't have a big uh, presence online. If you look at all the Malaysian comedians, and I mean like all six of us. Uh, I'm the one with the least amount of online presence. I have a very pitiful amount of followers on my social media. Uh, and, and I think that's a good testament to, uh, to prove that word of mouth can work, that people still rely on word of mouth. I still get booked for, for, to perform at weddings. I still get booked to perform at holidays because because the word gets passed around that, you know, mm. I, I'm a, I guess I can do the job, you know. Uh, now with the pandemic, I noticed, yeah, I was in a bit of a trouble because when we went into lockdown, I have, I, I, it was too late for me to build up my social media presence. It was too late for me to, to, to start becoming an influencer, whatever you, you call it, right? <laughs> right. It was too late. It was too late already. Uh, and, you know, it's a different skill set. I mean, I did a few virtual shows. They were mostly supported by my regulars and, and, and my followers. So I'm lucky to have Crack House, honestly. I'm lucky to have a comedy club that actually is the hub or, the, say, the source for people to go to for live stand-up comedy. Because I think that's really what my product is, is live, live comedy. So if you look at it, actually, and I... <laughs> Crack House has got a bigger online following than me. <laughs> yeah, but that, so that put, that's good, isn't it? You think? It is good. It's good. It shows that for me, I'm, I, I value more the, uh, the, the art form of comedy than myself as a comedian. I'm more interested to expose, or to, uh, to, to, to expose the public on what is the magic of watching live stand-up. It doesn't have to be from me. It can be from anybody else. It can, can be from an open mic. It can be from a local headliner. Or it could be an international act that nobody in Kuala Lumpur has ever heard from. But by the time they finish watching the show, they leave being ultimately big fans of they, they start following them, you know? Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah. No, I was just going to say, so, so, I mean, but that's a, a bricks and mortar place as you're sitting in front of a brick wall <laughs> there. But, yeah. I mean, this pandemic hit us. It's been a year and a half. I mean, how did it affect you, your comedians, you as a comedy club owner? Oh, tremendously. I mean, we, our, our success was predicated on having people buy tickets. So that was the main thing, tickets. So we, when we were, before pandemic in 2019, the good old days, right? Uh, we were making 80% revenue from ticket sales and 20% revenue from, from behind the bar. Now, the bar was just a secondary, was like a complement, complimentary or uh, uh, it, was, it wasn't the main product. It was just to complement the show. So we, so we sold drinks and, you know, bar snacks, you know, potato chips, hot dogs, nachos and stuff like that, right? So when we went into lockdown, 
all our revenue was cut, completely cut. Mm. So I had to make a decision. I had to go with. I had to go one way or the other. One way was the virtual event arena, or the, what they call the hybrid event now, right? With green screens, HD cameras, uh, you know, top quality sound system, and all that. Uh, which is one expensive, two very much uh, very high tech for me. I'm uh, I'm a I'm an older millennial that uh, identifies as a boomer. I don't know all this <laughs> high tech stuff. I'm not familiar with it. So another way for me is to get on what everybody else is doing, which is FMB. Everybody started getting on to FMB. Uh, so I decided to go that way because I know that. When this all this is over, when we can go, when when the pandemic is over, that can still be used in the club. That can still be a practical use for us, as opposed to you know, fancy high tech uh, audio yeah, and yeah. camera equipment. Right. So you were thinking long term. What can I do now that I can keep on maintaining as we move forward? Yes, and I also had to take advantage of the fact that my partner, who is stuck with me. <laughs> through thick and thin, Shankar Santiram has been a restaurant, <laughs> a legitimate restaurant owner, businessman, uh, for like nearly uh, more than 18, 16, 18 months now. So I know that I have him as a source of knowledge and insight as to how to run, uh, how to, to now pivot, how to now make our revenue come from FMB. So uh, I then needed to pick a, a food product. What kind of food product can we pick that can reach out to the masses that can that can is everybody enjoys? And then I chose pizza. Yeah, I mean it's it is a it is a Western creation, but much mm. like stand up, it's also a Western creation. But we tweak it and make it into our own. We inject our own identity into it. So Shankar, uh, he taught me how to make uh, you know the the most practical uh, uh, dough recipe. Uh, how to make you know sauce and and uh, you know uh, how to how to source for suppliers and uh, how to price my my items and all that and he also uh, he also insisted that we inject a, a Malaysian dish in it. I mean, as much as uh, I I found a, a you know we 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 sell a, a brilliant chicken and pesto pizza and a, 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 a what a roasted brisket uh, barbecue brisket pizza, which is great. But he insisted that we must have. A local flavored pizza, like uh, you know, they're not they're selling lamb varoval or or rendang pizza. So my uh, I got my wife to help out with that. She is a tremendous cook of local cuisine, so she makes a killer sambal. So we made now we are selling at, at the crack house a, a beef sambal pizza, or as we call it, sambal yet effective. Nice. <laughs> but so I the love thing it. Is though, I mean, obviously you've made pizzas before before this. Uh, I've uh, no. <laughs> okay, never, so <laughs> never ever, ever I never made pieces. What I mean, it was when I was working in the hotels. When I was in the hotel line, I had like a little. I had a small ambition to also run a pizzeria because that was one thing I noticed that Kale was deprived of. Yeah. Our pizza options were all international chains. Well, you know, why can't we just buy one slice of pizza from from somewhere like right, in a right. food truck or somewhere, you know, or a, a small stall somewhere. So that was I always had that 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 desire to run a pizzeria, but then so when this happened, I, you know, it invoked some excitement on right. me. I was like, okay, great, I'm gonna have to learn how to make my own pizzas, how to flip my own dough, how to cook my own sauce, how to marinate my own meat and get the toppings and all that. 
So for three months, uh, I obsessed over pizzas. Just day and night, <laughs> I was eating, sleeping, drinking everything. Pizza, pizza, pizza. Every every time I was on on the internet, I was YouTubing different recipes. I was reading about different different techniques, and every, I always, like I said, I always had Shankar to to refer to as well for the business insights and, and all that. And uh, I also had tremendous help from one. Uh, UK comedian who was stuck here for a year. Okay, he just so happened to be. He, he, this guy just tours around the world and performs. And it just so happens he was in Kuala Lumpur in February 2020, just when oh, lockdown was wow. happening. So he was stuck here. So he had a lot of free time, and he has got a lot of culinary background. He he's he's travelled the world. He's been on food documentaries, uh, uh, especially uh, when it comes to European uh, food. You know, Masale food lah. Mm. So he helped me a lot with uh, with with designing the menu, and we were up to 4 a.m. trying out this this topping, that topping, this, and then of course writing the menu as well. As comedians, you know, we couldn't resist the the temptation to come with naming everything as part of a joke. Yep, makes sense. Like, so who were the tasters? Lucky or unlucky? <laughs> Uh, well, I had my family, and I had some members, some members of our regulars, uh, that were, uh, you know, that over the years they were constantly, you know, they were always uh, watching shows here until they became my friends. So I, I elected like a group. I think there was like about 24 people, mm -hmm. and I told them, and I was like, okay, so you guys are my beta test, my my 24 dry run test pilots. So I'm going to make these pizzas. And you guys are going to taste them, and then you're going to fill up a Google form and tell me your honest feedback about it. Basically, and they were guinea pigs to see whether who anyone would get sick or not, lah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, luckily, no, that didn't happen. No one got sick. Uh, but there was, there it was good. The, the feedback was great. There was a few tweaks we could do. You know, the the like you know certain things like we had to reduce the amount of cheese because the oily the the level of oiliness was 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 overpowering uh, and. A few things as well, you know, like uh, the the crust was too thick. You know, most people actually, I find that. Well, it comes to you guys, Asha and JD. What do you guys prefer? I, I like crust. That's the thing I go for most yeah. of the time. Yeah, you guys, yeah. You guys like a thick crust. I like crust. I like, yeah, I like thick crust. Yeah. You guys like 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 a lot of carbs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's my preference as well. I honestly, I love a good thick crust, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Shankar was the one like ask any Malaysian. Ask any Malaysian. Go ahead, ask them. And I was asking people. Everybody <laughs> kind of like, do you prefer thick or thin? Eight out of ten people I asked all preferred thin, right? Yeah. So you got you the the three of us were part of that smaller group. Plus they, they probably go, hey, but more ingredients. You know, we're getting value for our money and everything. Right? That's true. Also, that's the thing. What Shankar was saying. Like, <laughs> Malaysians care more about toppings. We don't care about dough. We okay. We are not Italians. Okay. We don't care about dough. <laughs> We care about toppings, okay? We are more into into flavors, you know, fla you know, different flavors. We like all our sound like Yeah, okay, okay let's just yeah. stop there. Yeah, I can. I guess this too much. So, was there any um, recipe that you thought, "Oh, this is genius," but actually, it was revolting? Oh, uh, <laughs> did anybody did anybody else find it revolting? Thankfully, no. Right, right. No, but there was one recipe that went straight from paper to oven, unchanged. From the minute we wrote it, we were like, "Oh, this looks interesting." Until we tried it and it worked, and that is our chicken and pesto pizza. The one that you love. This was one of the one of the invention of uh, of Ollie Horn, the the UK comedian I mentioned, right? right? 
Right. And uh, that was the only pizza that went straight from paper to oven. It came out. It was genius. It was great. Uh, and as long as we sourced uh, the, the, the right produce uh, at the right price. Uh, but it was <laughs> the right produce at the right price. Got it. <laughs> so how, how's it work though for you guys right now? Though I mean, like, are you guys uh, making it by order, regardless of how many people order? You guys make a ton of pizzas, or how does it work right now for you guys? Yeah, well, we're we're we are we're surviving based on purely on deliveries and pickup, and we ha- we signed up with all the delivering partners, right? All the the major like Grab, Food Panda, and also that takes part of your. Oh man! Oh, it takes a huge chunk, a huge chunk, you know. But I, I have to kind of see it as marketing expense, mm. because mm. the fact that we are on these apps shows that I guess we're legit, right? Yeah. Yeah, but that's I, true. But I also give incentives for people to order direct, and some of my regulars they understand. I was they they know how much overheads this because otherwise this place is huge, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you guys don't <laughs> look at the space of this place, look. It's I'm massive, sorry. yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, you're you're actually at where the bar is actually, right? There's, there's there's so much space here, and I'm we're only using that portion of the room. Right. So, Rizal, let me ask you, like, in terms of your staff, have you managed to sort of keep hold of all of them, or or, or some of them? Like, what's that situation been like as an owner during this pandemic and this new business? Well, uh, it was it was sad that we couldn't keep all of our part-timers on uh, and that was it really we, we only had part-timers uh, mm-hmm. and, and we couldn't we couldn't keep all of them uh, so there was only one of them that who is now in the kitchen right now that uh, is working with me and so so but we I, I check on them every once in a while and they all kind of had their own jobs as well because this was only a part-time gig for all of them right so the only one that is now still with me is is he only had this gig, right? And uh, so uh, he's 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 still with me, and the rest are all kind of on standby. But like I said, they also had full time jobs themselves. Which, well, when uh, things c- get back to well normal, I suppose they will be they will be. Of back. course, of course, yeah. I mean, when we went when we went back when we were in partial lockdown earlier this year, late last year, earlier this year, and we were allowed to have half capacity uh, mm. to watch a show uh, then i i brought them all back in again and uh and things were great because we were now seeing increased spend per head from each punter now even though we had reduced capacity so it, we went from as i said earlier 80 percent ticket sales 20 percent fmb we went the other way now we were getting i think almost 80 percent fmb 20 percent ticket sales because i refused to raise my ticket prices as much as everybody said oh now we reduced capacity you should bring up the ticket price to make up for the for the lack of like why do the people need to get punished for that you know that's, that's not their fault that's very right good. Yeah. so yeah. and also i mean if there was one complaint that's followed us until today is that we show we sold our shows for very very cheap okay the fact that you can see gina yashire stephen k amos uh, some of these acts for 60 50 60 ringgit is incredible okay if you were to see them in the uk and you book and you book their tickets to watch their show at, at the o2 theater you'd pay almost like 150 ringgit whereas here in kuala lumpur they're willing to drop down their price for the sake of a malaysian crowd that have never been exposed to live comedy to watch 
a, a, a top draw lineup for like a very affordable price. And then, so the, the, my response to people that gave me this comment was like, you're selling it too cheap. You need to raise your ticket prices. It should be 80 ringgit. It should be 100 ringgit. To be able to see these acts in a small, intimate venue, you know, you should charge more. Then I was like, yeah, but then only you would be able to afford it. And yeah. how many times can you come to a comedy show? This is meant for everybody. And we've had mm. everybody. We've had, you know, taxi drivers. We've had people who have, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like the, the lower middle class and even the working class can come and enjoy a, a comedy show. So that was the one thing when we went back into partial lockdown was like, I'm not going to raise the ticket prices. I think everybody can, should be able to, and everybody's feeling the pinch. Everybody's feeling the pinch. Everybody's tightening their belts. So there's no sense to me, you know, trying to, to get people to spend more when everybody else is struggling. So, but... We can add more value to our shows by accompanying it with a very uh, uh, nice pizza menu. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it, you know, once things open up and, and, you know, people can go back to your bricks and mortar to actually watch comedy and eat their pizza, are you still going to maintain the delivery service for all of us who may not be able to make it that often but still want your pizza? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we can, we'll still be, we, we were still, <laughs> it was funny when we went into partial lockdown, we had to, because, you know, we had the, the food panda and the grab uh, machines, they kind of go off on a really loud noise. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So during the show, we would be on stage, and like, I'll be performing, and then I'll hear that grab, and I'll be like, oh, grab order, guys. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was distracting, but also the, cr the crowd kind of found it funny. We're like, okay, that's cute. Uh, you guys are now, you know, like a proper restaurant now. Right. Oh, and by the way, if you, you know, uh, I forgot to mention this, uh, and this is one of Shankar's input. When I, when I sat down with him and I decided to, you know, go the F&B route uh, with surviving the pandemic, he said that we're going to be joining a very overcrowded market. We need to have something to make us stand out. And we need to have that narrative that we are a live, a live event space, a live comedy club, having to pivot to F&B to survive. So with every order of pizza, you actually get a one-minute comedy clip how's that work i swear to god it looks like i planned to have these cut but they were actually there so how that, so how does that work that means you, you just so, so, I, so I yeah so I, so I contacted our uh past headliners all uh, a lot of our past headliners international and local as well and i asked them to provide us a one minute comedy clip especially for our pizza customers so a lot of them, a lot of them were very generous and like, yeah, sure. They, so they gave us uh, a, a one minute clip, which has been edited nicely by Papi Zach. So you, I have here, this is Paul Ogata. So what so is it? Is it like a CD or something? Or, oh, no. You, so you, you scan it. Scan it. It's a QR oh. code. Yeah. So you scan the QR code and it directs you to a one minute uh, YouTube uh, click uh, a one minute one minute clip of, nice. uh, of jokes. Very posh. I like that. Very sniffy. Rizal, I, I I'm just <laughs> wondering, are you concerned, or maybe from a business owner's point of view, like maybe it might be fine for you. Are you concerned that at some point in time, the pizzas are going to be so darn successful, <laughs> people are going to go, oh my god, I love Crack House uh, Pizza. Also, I heard it had a, a little a comedy club next. Uh, <laughs> part-time thing or whatever it is are you concerned about that i guess so i mean don't, yeah i guess it, I, it'll be funny if people think like oh yeah it's a pizzeria that also does comedy Correct. as opposed to a comedy joint that also sells pizzas mm. uh but hey man you know i'm, I'm happy to get the word across uh, you know uh, whichever way they, they you know people hear about us uh ideally yeah we were a comedy club first the pizza yeah. comes second yeah well, it's the evolution of it now um can we just test your hearing for a minute Yes. Okay, cool. Just quick one. 
Do you, can you? Oh, hold on, I can't. Are you on your? You're not on it. Earphones, right? Okay, cool. No, I'm afraid I'm not. I'm not earphones. No, worries, no worries. Can you? Can you hear this? Yes. You can hear that, right? Okay, cool. Just a quick one. Just wanted to check that one. Okay, cool, Ash. Okay, so um, for all our um, guests on Free Plug Friday, we actually. JD is the composer who creates a free plug, especially for our guests to use on any of their social media platforms, should they wish to do that. Uh, usually I'm being tortured and made to sing in this instance, perhaps not. So um, JD, what's the free plug you created for the Crack House? Well, my friend Rizal, I've known you for a long time. Now the thing is, the because it's all, all about pizzas, we thought <laughs> we'd go the Italian route with this. So are you ready to hear your free plug? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. Mario, I'm done with the stinking pipes today. Let's order pizza. But there's nothing good here, Luigi. Nothing tastes authentico. You're kidding me. What about that place in TTDI, the crack house? That's a comedia club, not the pizzeria. Aha, this is where you're wrong. Crackhouse Comedy Club now serves a pizza. They have I am what I am, chicken and pesto, sambal yet effective, but my personal favorite, Mary had a big one. Wait, 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 wait. that is not all. They even have chicken wings, got a sarong party chicks, and even cookies. And it all comes with a dose of laughter on the side as well. So what are you waiting for? Head to their website, www.crackhousefamily.asia or log on to their Instagram page, Crackhouse Kela, to check out their menu. Why is there a Russian accent? Ordering now, right? <laughs> I know. At 017-205-6870. They even do delivery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, that's brilliant. Manja, manja. Yeah, so we, our voice of our artists were kind of um, Russian Italian. Uh, <laughs> no, no, actually, basically, we were, we were Russian, our Italian. Yeah, yeah, we were Russian, our Italian. <laughs> Midway through, I kind of figured out, I'm like, I'm starting to sound a bit like Dracula here. So I'm like, <laughs> Me too. I was like, okay, maybe we need to redo it. <laughs> I know, I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. <laughs> It, it, Malaysians man. won't know exactly, that we sound yeah. Russian rather than Italian. Don't tell them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but dude, we, uh, we hope you can use that for your promotions and we really hope that things work out for you. But you know what? Uh, after this, I'm going to drive over to the crack house and actually pick up my pizza. I'm going to order a whole bunch of pizzas from you, man. Awesome. I'm Yay. so sad. I can't reach. Actually, you know, how do people find you? How, how can they yeah. get you? Of course, if they search pizza on all the food delivery apps, I'm pretty sure they can find you. But how else? Well, we're very we, we we're constantly updating our social media, and the best way first for you to reach out is uh, on WhatsApp. Uh, so even all our social media, all our tabs will link you to a uh, now what I've learned <laughs> this WhatsApp business account, which has a whole catalog and like you know you can add items and put it in a cart and then message me and then I uh, I will reply back. Really? With, uh, with, wow! Yeah. Look yeah. at you, Mr. Businessman. Yeah. I know. Fantastic. <laughs> you got the tech down to Pat. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And uh, I'm wishing you and your pizzas massive success. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And thank you for this. Thank you for helping us get the word across. 